0: Please stand if you're able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Please read with me the verses in bold. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Thanks be to God.
1: It feels a little bit, uh, th- th- this is always a, an interesting time. We don't use the language uh, like I think Christians used to, but I think it was mentioned earlier in the service. We are in a season of Eastertide, which means Easter time. And uh, we're celebrating um, all of the implications of the fact that we have a Savior who rose from the dead. And this morning, this story or part of a story of one of the times that Jesus appeared to his disciples during the 40 days after his resurrection and before he ascended to be with the Father. The first time I was invited to an, a gathering of my, Olivia, my now wife's extended family, I immediately decided that her Uncle Jerry was one of my favorites. Uh, Uncle, Jerry is, Uncle Jerry is a quietly gregarious guy. He's a generous father. He has three lovely daughters, uh, cousins of Olivia, He's a grandpa now, too, and he and his wife have moved to be near their grandkids. He's a godly guy. He's been married to Aunt Wendy for decades. Everybody loves Jerry. But it wasn't until recently, um, when my father-in-law was over, that I heard a story and I learned that Olivia's grandparents had originally refused to go to Jerry and Wendy's wedding. They didn't want Wendy to marry Jerry because Jerry is black. So they ultimately, Wendy and Jerry, ultimately eloped and got married at a courthouse without her parents present and without her parents blessing. And I thought, what? Actually, I talked to Aunt Wendy this week Actually, Wendy says, I think my dad was okay with it, but my mom was very upset about what people would think, and she wouldn't let him participate either, and that blew me away because it felt totally inconsistent with uh, the family that I know, and, uh, and apparently, this is no secret now, although I hadn't heard the story, uh, but for a while, this was the elephant in the room. And Wendy can joke about it now. She said to me on the phone, my parents, when I was a young girl, my parents were very clear that they wanted me to marry a Christian man, and I did. They just never specified what color. Maybe your family has one of these, quote, we don't talk about Bruno kind of things, a situation that nobody's talking about. Maybe you're all too familiar with painful events in the past that everyone's supposed to just pretend didn't happen. Or broken trust that's supposed to be sort of restored and renewed because it's just been a long time and time has passed. Not because conversations have happened or repentance has been demonstrated. It's just supposed to be okay and we don't talk about it. Today on this second Sunday of Easter, We're reading the story of Jesus' resurrection appearance to seven of his disciples Peter and Nathaniel, Thomas, James, John, and two others. And uh, the story is if we'd read the beginning of the chapter this morning, we would have read the story of how these seven disciples were getting skunked at fishing. That's a technical term for catching no fish. Uh, They were out all night taught nothing until the risen Jesus appeared on the beach and told them where to throw their nets and pull uh, up more fish than the boat could carry. This was followed, of course, by fish for breakfast. Delicious. But it's at this point that it becomes clear that Jesus had come to do more than just perform a miracle. He'd come to do more than just prove that he was raised from the dead, um, do more than just prove that he was master of creation and could command the fish in the Sea of Galilee to do what he wanted. Um, He had actually come to this, uh, this breakfast on a mission, and it's the same mission that he died and rose again for. Restoration from sin. And that means restoration of relationships, which means uh, there was some stuff to deal with this morning over barbecued fish because there was an incredibly big elephant in the room at this breakfast. My hope this morning is that we'll uh, be able to look at how a resurrected Jesus pursued restoration in relationships, and will be emboldened ourselves to uh, address the elephant at our own breakfast tables, as it were. Uh, maybe given some demonstration of what gospel reconciliation, gospel restoration looks like. And so, this morning, a sermon in three parts: Part one, the elephant at breakfast; Part two, restored by Christ; and Part three restored for what? Part one, the elephant at breakfast. So it's barbecue fish for breakfast, and everybody's having a great time. Uh, They've just caught like half a year's worth of fish, and so whatever sort of financial obligations they might have had is probably taken care of. People are in good spirits, happy, except maybe Peter. For Peter, we should should acknowledge that this meal is, at the very least, probably a little bit awkward, if not maybe excruciating. The last time these guys were alone with Jesus for a meal, they were in an upper room for Passover, and Peter said something like this in John chapter 13. He said, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. I would die for you. And then Before 24 hours had passed, instead of laying down his life for Jesus, he followed Jesus at a distance when Jesus was arrested. He hid in the shadows near a warm fire while Jesus was interrogated and beaten out in the cold. And then he denied that he was one of Jesus' disciples. Not once or even twice, but three times persistently insisting that he didn't even know the man. It is many days later now. Jesus has appeared, according to the Gospel of John, two other times to the disciples, and no one has said anything about the whole I'll lay down my life for you comment from Peter. No one's talking about how he denied him three times before the rooster crowed. Maybe we're just not going to mention it. Maybe it's water under the bridge, but... Um, what is everybody thinking? I mean, what are the other disciples thinking? Um, that Jesus doesn't care about what happened? Or what about Peter's credibility? Are we going to trust this guy and what he says from here on out? Sure, Jesus has included him amongst the disciples that he's appearing to, but should anybody trust him or give him responsibility? Are we just not going to talk about this? And Peter, in characteristic fashion, has just thrown himself in the lake when they catch this big catch of fish and he realizes that it's Jesus on the shore. He, he swims to shore shouting, it is the Lord. And so you can't say that Peter is avoiding Jesus. But on the other hand, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, has defeated death and is now serving breakfast on the beach. So, uh, and doing so, so far, without mentioning that that death that he died was a death that Peter abandoned him to. Yeah, so, kind of awkward. There's an elephant at breakfast. Part two, restored by Christ. So when they finished breakfast, this is our passage this morning, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And this is the first indication of a direct address between Jesus and one of the disciples during this episode of Jesus's appearance. He hasn't, he's only spoken to the whole group. This is the first time that he's talking to one of the disciples directly. And he speaks to Peter and what he says is kind of awkward, says, do you love me more than these? And it feels like one of those awkward moments where like if you've ever like overheard kindergartners talking and there's three of them sitting there and the one says to the other two, which one of you wants to be my best friend, right? This is a little bit awkward. Jesus says to Peter in the midst of six other disciples, do you love me more than These? And you can interpret that one way or the other. You can either think, you can either interpret that Jesus is saying, do you love me more than you love these other guys? Or do you love me more than these other guys love me? Either way, it's awkward. Why did he do it? Why did Jesus ask this awkward question in public amongst the disciples? As the passage goes on, most commentators think that it becomes really clear that Jesus is intentionally addressing the elephant in the room, that he's restoring Peter. That's what a lot of the the titles will say, Peter's restoration. Um, And what Jesus is demonstrating is that an appropriate reconciliation or an appropriate process for restoring a relationship is equally as public or private as the offense itself. Peter said in the presence of all of these guys, I will lay my life down for you, Jesus. And then publicly denied Jesus. Uh, So the elephant isn't just between Peter and Jesus. All of the other disciples are also wondering, should Peter even be here? Doesn't Jesus know? Does Jesus want us to trust this guy? And so... uh, Jesus addresses the elephant in an appropriately exposed way for those who need to know. Conflict in an organization or a company or a church or sometimes even in a family that has had a a, a public impact uh, but gets settled quietly, right? The thing just gets kind of settled in a back room someplace. um, Leaves a lot of questions unanswered for people that feel like they need to know, Honestly, you can create a lot of suspicion that wasn't there before if you operate that way. Suspicion about what happened and if things are really resolved or if the story that these guys are telling is really, what ha- is really how they feel about each other. And Jesus knows all of this about Peter, um, but it's every disciple as well. It's, it's the church that he's thinking about when he approaches Peter in this semi-public way. And so he does this awkward thing and brings it in front of everyone who knows that the elephant is in the room anyway. For the record, it can be equally as harmful uh, to insist on a huge public apology or a process in front of the world for an offense that really only affected a few people in a private relationship. We should note that Jesus doesn't add any shame or any humiliation to Peter's situation. He's not outing Peter. He is, uh, this is not a story of retribution, you know, because of what you did, I'm going to do this in front of others. It's, he, he's, he's being very intentional. Most commentators think that the biggest indicator that this conversation has everything to do with uh, Peter's denial is that Jesus repeats his question, do you love me three times? Exactly parallel to the question asked Peter on the night of Jesus's betrayal. Aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter gets a chance in this encounter with his Lord to kind of undo all that he has done. Three times he gets to say, not only does he know this guy, but that he loves him. And by the last time Jesus asks, do you love me? Peter is weeping. Maybe it's because of the realization again that he denied Jesus three times. Maybe it's because it hurts so bad that Jesus asked two more times. Maybe he's weeping for joy because Jesus is clearly pursuing him and making clear that he's restoring him. Peter is... Coming to the realization that he's not being expelled, which must have been in the back of his mind when Jesus started talking to him directly. Whatever moved Peter to tears, we know that it was made possible by how persistent and how explicit Jesus was in his pursuit of reconciliation, in his intentionality to restore their relationship. Uh, He doesn't undersell what Peter has done, he doesn't say, Oh, it's no big deal. If he had, then maybe some of the other disciples would say, hey, we never really got to the bottom of this. Is he really forgiven? Does he really know what he's done? He asked three times in the same way that Peter denied him three times. Jesus isn't unclear about his goal. He says, do you love me? That's the question. He's pursuing the restoration of their relationship. While lots of people will read this passage and uh, and say that... um, It's primarily about position. They'll read this passage and say, this was the installation of Peter as the first bishop over the church or something like that. Uh, This isn't an installation service. Peter isn't being installed as a leader. It seems very clear that Jesus is having a conversation about their relationship, about making things right between him and Peter and making sure that the others who have an interest in it know that there is forgiveness that there is repentance. That's the goal. That's the clear goal from Jesus. So an appropriate reconciliation, an appropriate process for restoring a relationship is explicit about what's being expressed. What are we talking about here? And an appropriate reconciliation, an appropriate process of restoration is primarily about relationship. It's not about position. It's not about power. It's not uh, an incentive to get something or an exchange that, uh, a payback for what you owe. It's about relationship. A gospel restoration is about relationship. And just to be clear, this is exactly what Jesus did for us at the cross. To restore us, he addressed our sin explicitly. The scripture says the wages of sin is death our rebellion against God, and he did it in a way that was equally as public and tragic as our offense itself. We have rebelled, humanity has rebelled against God publicly and in his face. He explicitly expressed, he explicitly addressed the ramifications of our sin. The wages of sin is death, and so he took upon himself our death. Upon defeating sin at the resurrection, his restoration of life and relationship between humanity and himself of eternal life is equally as, publicly, as public and profound as the impact that death has had on the history of humanity. And his purpose was not power. This was not a power grab or uh, a play to put Jesus in a position. He didn't start a revolution for world domination based on his defeat of death, which he most certainly could have, right? His purpose was relationship, to restore us to himself. Have you ever thought about reconciliation in relationships as resurrection work? Bringing life from death? Well, it was actually, I guess, I guess it wasn't long uh, after their elopement that Wendy and Jerry had a good, uh, had, had a good and significant conversations with her parents. And Wendy says uh, that uh, she was convinced pretty quickly into their marriage that Jerry was her mother's favorite son-in-law. I know we're streaming this, so Uncle Ricky may uh, beg to differ. However, it wasn't until their 25th anniversary that they decided to have another wedding. And they did it in a church. And they had a big party. And everyone attended. It was a big deal. It was as big a deal as the first was a debacle. And I wonder if they felt like they were doing resurrection work that day, because I think that they were. Part three, restored for what? It is so compelling and clear that uh, what Jesus is restoring Peter for, that many have called this passage Jesus, uh, Peter's commissioning. Jesus giving Peter a job. After each question, Peter responds. Jesus says, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And after each of those responses, Jesus, picking up his identity as the good shepherd, says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And uh, Contrary to some interpretations, Peter is not uh, restored for power, as I've said before. He isn't being restored to save face. He isn't restored to run an enterprise. It's very clear that he is restored for service. Uh, The illustration is feed the livestock. Look what's packed into Jesus's responses. First, a commission to care for God's people. He says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He Peter's given the same job that Jesus had uh, to feed God's people. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Peter, give people Jesus. Give people the gospel. This is what's going to sustain them. This is what you're called to do. There's a clear commission to to care for God's people with the gospel. It's a clear indication of who owns this project, right? The responsibility. These are not Peter's sheep, feed your sheep. He's not being given any lambs. Uh, His ministry won't be for himself. It's gonna be for Christ. He's the one who owns the flock into which Peter's being sent out. And there's a clear affirmation of calling that Peter is asked to care for Jesus' sheep clearly indicates that he's being trusted as a shepherd. How huge is that in front of these other disciples? To be, to be told, you're gonna shepherd my sheep. The, the Bible uses the term under-shepherd for elders and other leaders in the church who are, who are not the owners of the sheep, but the caretakers who take up this same commission that Peter had. So Peter's been restored to relationship For service. Restored to relationship. Restored for service. Here's maybe the coolest thing about the story that I've been telling you this morning. Late in life, after grandpa had died, Olivia's grandmother's health was fading, and she moved in with Wendy and Jerry. So once horrified by what people might think, she now spent the last days of her life living in the home of and being cared for by, sorry, Uncle Ricky, her favorite son-in-law. Here's a really cool thing, and it's, it's kind of tragically cool about the story that we read this morning of Peter and Jesus. But remember Peter's promise? Remember his boast before the crucifixion? He said, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. As this passage ends, Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And the gospel writer adds this commentary and says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. As Jesus describes it, late in life, Peter will stretch out his hands to be bound and led away to be executed much like his Lord. And so there's this, I mean, it's a really incredible sense that in fact, Jesus has restored Peter fully. He is indeed going to get the chance to keep that promise that he made to Jesus. I'll lay my life down for you. He has been restored in this relationship, so that he can be restored to the service that he was called to in the first. My friends, um, we are a resurrection people, and hallelujah is our song. Uh, we uh, we we have been already promised and given eternal life and in the meantime uh, we have resurrection work to do bringing restoration bringing reconciliation doing that work of dying to ourselves so that new life might come